Hello and welcome to the Minnesota Family Law Podcast, the podcast by, with, for, and about family law professionals. My name is Tom Tuft and I'm a family law attorney and ADR provider at the law firm of Tuft, Locke, Jerebic, and O'Connell. Good family law professionals get accurate information to their clients, in part to disabuse them of the notions they've heard on the street. This is no more common than in comments around residential real estate. We often hear people say, well, I can't qualify to refinance, so that's just not going to work, or I can't get a new mortgage if I'm still on the old mortgage. We turn to our mortgage professionals for the accurate information. No mortgage expert is more prominent in Minnesota family law than my guest. He is a ready source of information on the latest from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. If you want to know how long maintenance must be paid before it can be considered by underwriters, we turn to him. If we want information on what direction interest rates are going and what we should consider for our clients, we turn to him. When we want the language for a judgment decree that will pass muster with underwriters, we turn to him. I am so pleased to have a chance to speak with Mitch Irwin of Bell Bank. Mitch, you're always kind of the the go-to guy among a lot of us family law professionals, and um, you always bring huge amounts of important information that we then you know, can, can share with our clients. Uh, can you tell us what's going on in the mortgage industry in light of the, the COVID-19 and the pandemic? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's kind of exciting times in the industry. It's also, um, challenging. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. Um, the reality is, uh, lenders are busy. They're actually really busy because rates, you know, most people's kind of figured out that rates started coming down around February and early March, maybe while this uh, pandemic was still across the pond. And um, now once it's hit home, um, so anyway, lenders got really busy with refinances and people buying and purchasing and getting all excited with low rates in the early parts of March. And then once, you know, um, they kind of came out and it came over here and became, you know, everybody's got that serious moment that's when things started to change a little bit where hey, you got lenders with peak volume had mm-hmm. to w- move shift to work from home, you know, just like law firms did or accounting for everybody had to do this shift from home. But um, I think we closed 1700 loans in April and we had closed 600 in January. So it'd be met. Wow. Envision, envision <laughs> tripling your family lot, you know, tripling your divorce business two months. Yeah. And having to move from home and, you know, so you kind of got record volume going on in the midst of it. Um, so part of it's exciting, but even like that much volume is a strain on the system, even if you didn't have a pandemic going on. Um, rates are still good, um, but there are some challenges with it, too, where some of those people that locked early March on a great rate, uh, they got laid off. Um, so now they can't get the loan. Um, so there's, there's, you're sifting through which loans are closable, which ones are not. Um, if you don't mind, I'll probably break it down into a couple, like, here's the good yeah. news, here's bad news, some bullet please, points. Please do. Interest rates are still really low for the vast majority of loans that are out there. Probably record lows from what we've seen in years or possibly ever. Um, so that's exciting. You know, um, people are busy with refinancing, whether it's getting divorced or not. Um. Homes are actually still selling, even though the real estate agents in that community has had to adapt to a lot of virtual sales and showings and lots of pictures. Um, If people are listing homes that are in that 
you know, average Twin Cities home, probably from 200 to 450, I think they're still selling. There's still a lot of demand for people to have a home that was pent up before. Um, so those price points are still really good for people that, you know, whether it's a state, someone passes away, they got to sell the house, it's an estate issue, or they get divorced, or relocation of a job, all those normal issues. Um, homes are still selling. So that's that's good, although I do think that's going to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what percent of the market is your casual upgrader, where they stumble through an open house and somebody falls in love with it and says, yeah, let's sell ours and buy this bigger house. That's not happening. Sure. Um, you know, um, the people are concerned about having an open house and 25 people running through their home. For sure. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of people that if you don't need to sell, there's a lot of people that are not listing just yet. Sure. Uh, they might be home painting walls and cleaning up and, you know, doing a little yeah. tidy project where I do think there's going to be a wave of new listings coming. Well, um, and those those people that are buying because their business, tra- you know, they're, they're transferred by their work or whatever. I mean, those... I assume those things are on standby uh, as well. So um, there's a lot of parts of it that might not be happening in the near future. Yeah, some of it. I've actually had a couple of relocation calls, surprisingly, um, whether they're um, um, different professions. um, But you're right. A lot of your bigger employers in town, I don't think, are hiring like they were. Um, But I've had a couple people, surprisingly, um, that are moving here from Oregon or Texas or some other places. Okay. Um, I think the real cool thing is that Minnesota is a good place to live. And even the Twin Cities has a pretty stable job market, all things considered, um, where a lot of people have been able to work from home. Um, People work for government or school systems. Those jobs are pretty safe right now, um, knock on wood. Um, the, The industries where I'm seeing some... I've got a handful of loans where like one, the divorce decree was entered on Monday. She lost her job on Tuesday. You know, there. Yikes. Yeah. Thankfully that one didn't have what I call a ripple effect. Um, And a ripple effect is when maybe the, in that case, wife was refinancing husband was not getting a bunch of money out for his equity to go buy on another house. There is some of that in the, in the marketplace. So, and that's where there's probably the, Thinking through the employment of the borrower, how safe is that, building the right timeline in the divorce decree to make sure everybody is just kind of aware and expectations are met as to when they can close this loan and get their money out if, if someone's using that to go buy in another house. So That's, um, uh, yeah, one of the, the, the challenges. I mean, just the, the uncertainty, um, you know, f- for us in advising clients along those lines and... Uh, appreciate you flagging some of these things because this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff we need to bring to our clients and have on our radar screen. I think the high level professions to be kind of really, you know, think about would be, uh, yeah, obviously anybody works at a restaurant, uh, bartender, waitress, you know, tip income, um, your, I got a client that works at Lifetime Fitness, you know, they're closed yeah. um, or she's, she's not doing her job. Um, dental hygienist, um, dentist, even there's been some concern with um, your specialty physicians right. where, you know, they're paid on a pretty hefty salary or whatever, because they're based on the revenue coming in and those elective surgeries aren't coming in at the moment. Um, yeah. I know that ripples from the physician to the anesthesiologist to the, uh, you know, nurses and the, 
you know, all the, the related uh, people. I, I've, I've been hearing the same thing about those, uh, the elective service providers, surgery providers. Right. So I would say I've got a handful of loans that are kind of, um, even a guy called me yesterday and, and let me know that news. And they were kind of getting ready for their, ready for their final round of mediation. They were hoping to file in May. I was expecting to close the loan, you know, early June. And he got noticed that he's being laid off. So we traded voicemails. We'll probably talk this week about is it a short-term thing you know i think that's where we break down the timeline into a couple categories with people that are in this position to say are they going to go back soon as you know the governor lifts restrictions or is it a permanent type of thing um is it reduced hours um there's different buckets people kind of fall into and that's where maybe talking with the clients and the attorneys should say What's the best guess? You know, I mean, nobody knows for sure when things are going to open back up, but they seem to be s- stepping back into some industries every week or two weeks, however, kind of while mm-hmm. it's doing it. Yep. Um, so, kind of best guessing out um, when someone can get a loan and planning the timeline around that. The other thing I've been talking about to people is kind of some alternative options um, that can be anywhere from. You know, what resources do they have in terms of parents or siblings or something like that that could be a co-signer? Um, and someone may not normally want their parent on the loan, but if parents have pension and Social Security and they're taking a bunch of money out of IRAs, well, those, that income is usable. So they might have enough income to, to help their uh, child qualify for this loan. And then the employment doesn't become such a factor in the timeline. Um you know, adding a cosigner to the loan. So that's one way people can kind of sure. get get the loan if 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 they have a qualified and willing cosigner. If they don't, then that option's off the table. Yeah, we've always or often, you know, put that out there. Um, people are so reluctant to you know to to bring in friends to and family. That. But yeah. you know, this is the, uh, in general a divorce is the time to 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 call in those favors or ask for help. But um, right. Under these circumstances, even more so, um, uh, it's time. Versus versus someone saying they want to sell the house then. You know, if that's, if you got to ask for a co-signer or sell your house, you know, you weren't willing to have mom or dad on the loan. And I think there's, you know, there's some ways to get them off um, down the road, like through okay. the assumption process. And that maybe would relieve a little bit of their concern. Um so. Yeah, that's that. You know, obviously, that's the other side of it. Is if if your kid is struggling and can't afford a house on their own, <laughs> I mean, what, right. what if they really well, yeah. <laughs> can't afford a house? Yeah, then, see, so they have to be able to assess yeah. like how likelihood am I going to have to step in and pay here? Right. Do I want the, Do I want to take on that risk or not? Um, there's other things. Um, I've had clients that you know they change jobs over the years and they've got a couple hundred thousand in. Uh, IRAs and so they can set up an IRA distribution and start taking their income from that and as long as there's enough in there usually about three to four years worth of distributions they can set that up with their financial planner take a distribution on that income use that as their qualifying income because it meets the Fannie Mae's guidelines and standards and then frankly once they kind of if they change a circumstance and they go back to work they could suspend that um you know, or change that or lower it, whatever. Um, so if, if someone's got the resources of distribution of income, that's another way people can qualify for a loan. Um, the 
other things I'm kind of seeing a little bit are maybe someone can't refinance right now, um, but they can get a, um, or maybe the staying spouse can't uh, refinance right now, but the outbound spouse wants to go buy a house and they're owed that money. Perhaps they can get a gift from their parents knowing that, yeah, eventually the ex-spouse is going to refinance and pay them out. Sure. Then they can kind of, then they, then they pay them out and get their money back to their parents, you know, kind of repay that gift. So, um, so it depends on what kind of resources they really have available. Um, thinking through some of the other things that, um, what other sectors of the industry have been impacting? Because I don't want this, you know, I don't, you don't want to make this a two-hour thing. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the the conventional loans, what you know, people kind of think of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, those are just fine. There's stability in that market right okay. now. Rates are good. The two sectors that have been impacted the most is probably the jumbo market, okay. um, which is which is a, a loan above five hundred and ten thousand, which probably is a small percentage here in Minnesota. And even when buy, people buy like a six or $700,000 house, they still have the ability to stack a first mortgage and a sure. second mortgage. Um, but the jumbo market, someone needs an eight, $900 million loan. Those rates have gone up and a lot of the investors or um, the lenders that used to typically be in that space have closed or quit taking loans to kind of wait it out. Sure. Um, or frankly, gone out of business. Um FHA and VA loans um, typically go to lower credit scores, but those credit scores with a lot of banks or lenders have gone, the minimum has gone up. Um, for example, I work for Bell Mortgage. We used to be at 620. Uh, we've raised it to 660. Some other places have raised to 680. Okay. Some places haven't raised it, but then you pay through the nose to get it. Sure. So um, I think it's, a, it's, or critical that clients know what their credit score is, what type of loan they're going to be pursuing, what's the timing projection. So kind of the same stuff um, I've preached for about 15 years now is getting involved early when someone is getting divorced to know what type of loan they're going to need. Is there any hiccups on credit that need a little help um, to get them into that the conventional loan where the rates are lower and there's just more certainty at this time? You know, a lot of times we see um, in our cases the the HELOC, the home equity line of credit, that is a, an issue. Um, you know, sometimes it's got to be paid off. Sometimes it's a tool to use to free up cash. So it's it's, it's a ready source mm-hmm. of funds to buy someone out. Um, what's going yep. on in that side of things? Um, those have tightened up a little bit. Um, I think banks in general were probably worried that people would go put one on and then zap all that equity out. And that just increases the liquidity crunch on banks uh, or puts pressure on them. So, and we don't know if values are going to go up or down yet. So they have a lot of banks have either quit doing them or they have reduced how high they will go. Um, Kind of, for example, Bell used to go to 90% of the, of the appraised value. Okay. Now we, now we go to 80. So they've just kind of reduced or restricted that lending limit about 10%. Sure. And I think that's, I think there's a lot of banks that are doing that same stuff just to kind of protect themselves. And, um, so that's, you're right. That was an easy way to go get access to cash for buyouts or consolidate debt. Um, mm-hmm. That was available to a higher level before 60 days ago. That is not, or it's just been reduced down a little bit. Um, which kind of brings me up to this 
thinking forward per thing about what are the possible ramifications in our world. Uh, mm -hmm. I went through I went through the financial crisis of 2007 to 2011, four year span probably. Mm -hmm. The things that we saw back then were kind of similar where they raised credit scores. They started lowering loan to value limits, you know, restricting how high you could go to borrow against or them increase the amount you had to put down to go buy a house. Or they tightened some other things like, I forget the exact year, but at one point, or for many years in early my career, you only needed three months of child support and spousal maintenance to get the loan. And sure. That was kind of the standard for a long time. Yep. And then the financial crisis hit, and then they like put the brakes on it, and they made it a 12 months. And that's a long time, actually. Right. I, I, I kind of hated that period. And then they eventually loosened it up to like six months if it was only a percentage of your income, and then eventually just... I think around 2012 or 13 went to a flat six months, which is still the case right now um, on conventional loans. So far, they haven't gone too deep onto these of those uh, changes and guidelines, but I wouldn't be surprised at some point in 2020 if they do, depending on how fast this turns around and or if it gets worse, um, things of that nature. So I'll, I'll, so far, fingers crossed, haven't yep. seen any of that happen yep. too deep, but it's, it is possible, and I'll certainly share with you, yes. the rest of the family law community, kind of when it does. Um, the one final tip here before I let you kind of hang up is the forbearance stuff. Yeah. People should be really be really careful with it. I'm seeing a couple people have already mentioned that they're, they've elected to do that. If people need it because they've lost a job and they're out of money, whatever, absolutely take it advantage of it because it's better than not dealing with it. You know, it's better than just sure. getting mortgage rates on your credit. However, it's not a complete payment vacation. There's a lot of fine print in there as to kind of how the modifications or repayment structure is going to work and how, and it doesn't so technically get reported as late on credit or it's not supposed to. It's sure. too early to tell how it's actually reporting and how it's getting coded behind the scenes whether that's going to impact someone to be able to refinance, let's say six months from now in November or December. Um, so I would tell people don't do it unless they absolutely have to, but they should do it if they're you know, sure. it's better than, 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 than not making the payment, Absolutely. but, but don't do it if they don't have to. So, well, Mitch, I, I really appreciate your time and you're always a, a fountain of helpful information. And I, I know this will help me better serve my clients and, uh, you know, I always tell them, hey, call Mitch. He'll give you free information. You don't get much free in family, <laughs> in the family law world. Um, right. You know, he's hoping to get your business, but he's always happy to talk to people. And uh, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a very helpful model uh, from yeah. my perspective. So I, I appreciate, you know, what you what you bring to the table. And, uh, you know, I look forward to hearing from you more as, as things evolve here. Whether it's clients or even attorneys that have a question. Sure. You know, they're certainly welcome to give me a buzz and I'm working from home and available. Um, I've even done some mediations or not mediations, but some zoom calls with a client attorney to kind of talk through whether it's how much do they need in support and uh, looking at loan numbers, oh, that's a so great idea. figure out how much, uh, how much a payment's going to be based on where rates are and how much the buyout is. <clears throat> so in the past, when we were always in meetings and going hold out of different ways, there's a there's a ninety percent chance right now I'm sitting at my computer working on stuff. <laughs> yeah, 
texted or emailed say, hey, do you have, can we plan a call for tomorrow with the client, the attorney, and uh, myself to do a Zoom call? They found it pretty uh, helpful um, to understand what they need sure. from a lending perspective. I'll keep that in mind. Well, th- thank you, and I, I know we'll be in touch in the near future. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Tom. It is not unusual to be in the midst of a mediation or FE&E, and it becomes apparent that the ability to refinance is going to create an impasse. Someone, often me, will frequently say, hey, let's run this patch to Mitch, see if we can reach him on the phone. And more than, more than once, his guidance has helped break that impasse and move the case ahead. In other cir- circumstances, the homework assigned to one or, or both parties is to talk to Mitch and see what the options may be. Mitch has cost me more than a little business over the years by finding solutions for people that didn't think there were solutions. We are about to hit a milestone with the podcast. In the next day or so, we will hit 700 listens with average listen time of 13 minutes. That means that you, my dear colleagues, have spent 150 hours listening to various episodes of this podcast, period, podcast. It is very rewarding to think that you have spent your valuable time listening to this and that it is adding some value to the discussion in the legal community. If you want to catch episodes on a regular basis, please subscribe on any of the main podcasting platforms. Before you go, I want to give you a preview of the week to come. On Sunday, family law attorney Margot Sefker will join me to discuss mothering and parenting in a pandemic while still practicing. On Monday, Lisa Calamine will give us her insights from Anoka County. On Tuesday, Jack DeWalt addresses handling complex cases in, these, in this era of limited access to our courts. On Wednesday, Kirsten Lisney joins me again, this time to discuss the concept of gatekeeping and how that is apt in light of the unique concerns parents have in exchanging children back and forth during a pandemic. On Thursday, I will have a law student from each Mitchell Hamlin and the University of St. Thomas. It is certainly challenging for us as family law professionals at various stages in our career, but it must be especially daunting for those just about to enter into the field. For example, they don't, do not even know when or if there will be a summer bar exam. Once again, we have come to the end of an episode. So to my family law colleagues, I say thanks for listening, and I look forward to continuing these discussions. Now take care of yourself and your family so you can take care of your clients and your business.